Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if, if we haven't met personally, as I mentioned earlier, my name is John uh, Cheryl. I'm one of the pastors here at Fifth. It's great to be worshiping with you. It's one of those unique years when Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday. So we're doing uh, the last of our four Advent uh, messages this morning and then, of course, celebrating Christmas this evening. And our Advent series has been this, uh, this series called Do Not Be Afraid, of course, coming from the message that the angels spoke to multiple people in the first couple chapters of Luke's gospel. And it's a, a very common experience when human beings confront the reality of God. Uh, you know, when we get kind of yanked out of our daily routine to realize this isn't just all religious talk, but that the Lord is real, that, that God is really doing something up to something in the world. And of course, when an angel appears, we're yanked out of our daily routine. And the initial message was always, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because that experience is terrifying, right? That, that's a thing. But God's love has the power to alleviate our fears, inviting us to a deeper trust and a more settled peace, a Christmas peace. Today we think about how uh, not, of being not afraid to choose love even when it's hard to do so. God did that on our behalf, chose love even though it was hard to do so. And we think about not being afraid to do the same. So let's listen to the scripture. Luke 2, 15 through 20. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, to be a good listener when it comes to a sermon, I think we need to take the scripture reading we just heard and place it in its larger context because sometimes it can be a little weird, right? We yank a, a little part of a passage out of the whole and this is another one of those situations where we need to think about the larger context because this story about the shepherds follows very much on the passage Pastor Sam preached last week. It was about the shepherds' encounter uh, with the Lord. They were out in the fields and an angel appeared to them and said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. And um, some, older, some older translations say, do not be afraid. Behold, I, I, I bring you good news for all the nations. That, that, that word behold 
it's actually part of the original language. It's very interesting. If you, if you did a very literal kind of wooden translation of the original language, it would read like this. Do not be fearing, be perceiving, for I'm telling you the gospel. Do not be fearing, be perceiving. That's the old behold word, right? For I'm telling you the gospel. So the, the angel tells them three things. What not to do. Do not be afraid. Do not be fearing. What to do. Be perceiving. And what the angel is doing. I'm telling you the gospel. Bringing you good news. And, and really it's a great pattern for us, isn't it? I mean, in Romans, the apostle Paul says this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. We, we have to hear the message of Jesus. And fear can plug our ears if we allow it. You know that power. Maybe it's a, a, a very vivid, very real fear. It's a lingering kind of thing. Maybe it's there and you're barely in touch with it, but it's there. Fear can plug our ears if we allow it. And says the angel, instead of fearing, we can be perceiving, meaning awake, alert, seeking the Lord, listening with intentionality to the ways God might be getting our attention. We can be perceiving. But of course, the end goal isn't simply uh, to, to perceive, not just to hear from the Lord, but to follow the Lord, to walk with Jesus. And this, this is why Christians are called Christ followers, right? We, we try to follow Jesus, not just think good thoughts about him. It impacts all of who we are and, and, and what we do. The cadence of the Christian faith is revelation and response. It's not just about receiving the revelation so we're more comfortable in our lives. Hey, I've got the spiritual side good. That silo is happy. Now the rest of my life will be better. I mean, the story of Christmas very much uh, counters the, the claims of consumer Christianity. God is not here for us. We are here for God. That's the way this works. So whenever in our thinking, we start to go down the road of, well, this is good for me. My life will be more comfortable, blah, 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 blah. That's the wrong road. This is an invitation to die to yourself. Not kind of, but entirely. To pour out your life like a drink offering. Not most of it, but all of it. Just as Jesus did. See, following Jesus is not primarily about going to church. Going to church is very important. But it's not about that primarily. Following Jesus is not primarily about holding intellectual beliefs about religious things, about who Jesus is and what he did and all of that, as important as doctrine is. Following Jesus is primarily about actually following Jesus. 
changing the trajectory of your life to follow Jesus instead of the million other things you might follow in this world. Following Jesus is about actually following Jesus. The angel said, do not be fearing, be perceiving. I'm telling you the gospel. That's revelation. Did you catch the shepherd's response to that revelation? I love it. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Revelation, I'm telling you the gospel, don't be fearing, be perceiving. Response, let's go and see. This go and see invitation is very much alive today. When John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time, the scripture says that he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when a couple of the followers of John the Baptist heard this, they decided to follow Jesus instead and they followed him and Jesus looked back and he saw these guys and he said, hey, you, you want something? And they said, Rabbi, Rabbi, where are you staying? And his response echoes through the ages as an invitation to us. Come, he replied, and you will see. Come and you will see. I take that to mean that seeing comes after following. It's faith first and understanding second. Not a blind step of faith. We're not talking about that at all. It's very much informed, very much based on the historical claims that ground our faith. But there's a truth here that it takes faith to seek the best and deepest understanding. And you know what? It's not really faith until you step out. Until you put something at risk. Until you let go of control. It brings to mind, I'm dating myself now, but that scene from the first Indiana Jones movie... (laughs) You know what I mean. Indy has to go through the tests at the end and make his way to the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ. And there's all those like razor things that might chop off your head and all that. But then he gets to the huge chasm and there's no way across. And he, a step of faith, a step of faith. And he closes his eyes and holds his fists and just goes like this. And then he realizes there's an an invisible bridge there. You couldn't see. You know, it's not... It's not faith until you step out. Let let go of yourself. And and Christmas asks that of us. There's been a revelation and we need to respond. The shepherds received revelation. They responded, hey, let's go and see. And they took a step. They did it. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And Pastor Sam mentioned last last week that uh, culturally, shepherds were not very high on the social totem pole, right? They were kind of at the bottom, looked down upon culturally. Mary and Joseph had really been through it, right? They were experiencing the social cost of expecting a child before they were married. That was a huge, huge deal in their culture. There was a, 
a boatload of shame being dumped upon them. They were right in the middle of all that shame and rejection. And then they had this baby. And right after that, a flock of shepherds shows up. I mean, they had to be thinking to themselves, Mary and Joseph, that is. They they had to be thinking, could this get any weirder? I mean, who are these guys and what are they doing here? What's the deal? It's like family only time, right? Who are the strangers? But, But they received the shepherds and listened to their story. They chose to love when it was hard to do so. And they were glad they did. Because then they heard the whole story about another angelic appearance and message. The the message of the angel Gabriel, the message he had implied to Mary in, in his meeting with her that her son would be the Messiah was told straight, plain to the shepherds. Here's what Gabriel said to them. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the shepherds stepped out in faith, went to check it out. And here they were, the shepherds, at the manger. A manger, a feeding trough for animals now. Nobody ever puts their baby in one of those. And there was a baby wrapped in cloths, lying right there in a manger, right in front of them. And yet again, I love their response. It's another pattern for us. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Hey, everybody, something happened. When they had seen him, they spread the word. See and tell. One way we love God's word is by telling others about what we have heard and seen. That's what being a witness means. Witnesses tell others about their experience. Witnesses are not called to tell other people what to do. Witnesses don't say, you should do this or you should do that. Witnesses simply say, I saw this. I heard that. I experienced this. And there's power in an I statement, isn't there? I mean, I statements have a double benefit. First, they have the power to fulfill our witness, our our calling to bear witness to Jesus. Uh, This is me speaking about my life. If you want to know me fully, you need to know that I believe that the claims of the Bible about Jesus being raised from the dead in his body are really true, and that has shaped my entire view of the world, and I, I hope it shapes the way I approach people. I really believe this is true. I, I, I. I statements fulfill the calling to bear witness to Jesus. And I statements are emotionally healthy because they're not manipulative. It's not, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this. I have seen this. I have heard this. I believe that the claims and truths contained herein are the best guide for life available in this world and represent the best truth available to human beings in the world. I don't just think that, I believe I've experienced that and seen it unfold in others' lives too. I statements, see and tell is one way 
we love God's word. Another way we love God's word was modeled for us by Mary. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Treasure and ponder. That's the next one. Mary treasured up all these things, all the angel visits, all the stories, what Elizabeth said, what Zechariah experienced, what the shepherds heard and saw, not just from one angel, but a, a great company of the heavenly host showing up to sing a song, right? Look, well, this is mind-blowing. She treasured them up. Treasuring up isn't so much a one-time action as it is a, a commitment to active remembering. The word means to keep things closely together mentally. It's like Mary carved off a little room in her memory to put all the Jesus stuff, all these encounters with the Lord, all the things said about her son. She treasured them up and she pondered them. I I don't know if you've been tracking with the whole series, but back, I think it was the first um, message in this series where we talked about the angel Gabriel visiting Mary and he tells her she's going to have a son and that he'll be, you know, uh, will receive David's throne. It's just this kind of mind-blowing thing. And if you remember, the text says this about Mary. It says that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and, sh- and wondered what they might be. Greatly troubled, like to her, the depths of her being, she was kind of undone. And then she wondered. And that word wonder is an accounting word, remember? It, was, it meant to, to do an audit, to take in all the facts, and try to add it up. Like, okay, this got this and this and this and this and how does this work? It's kind of like in the finance world where all the stuff on your balance sheet and P&L, like they, they talk, everything's nice and perfect. That's a shout out to you, finance and stewardship team. And, and it all works. But for Mary, it was like boom, boom, boom. And like, this does not add up. Pondering has that same kind of sense. That same kind of sense of the audit continuing, gathering the pieces and trying to, to fit them together. The word can literally mean disputed with, conferred with, met with, engaged in. It's this struggle with all the memories treasured up in that little storage room, right? It's kind of like the, I don't know if it's still a thing, I haven't seen it on my computer lately, but. In older computers, there was that little CPU usage indicator. Remember that thing? And every once in a while when your computer was going really slow, you'd be like, oh, it's at 100%. It just needs time to think. Well, it's kind of like the CPU of Mary's mind was nearly 100% occupied with the question of Jesus. Right? What is going on here? The angel told me he'd be the son of the most high, the Lord would give him the throne of his father David, that he'd reign over Jacob's descendants forever, his kingdom would never end. The the angel told the shepherds that he was flat out the Messiah, but he's crying again because he's hungry and what's that smell? Is that his diaper? The Messiah? What? For us, the point I think is this, treasure and ponder. Another way we love God's word is by actively remembering and meditating on it. One of the big reasons we're going to be reading through the Bible in a year. 
says Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And as with Mary, the question of Jesus should occupy much of our mental CPU. It's only getting two or 3% right now. It might mean that we haven't fully grasped the claims. The angel wasn't blowing smoke at the shepherds when he said that this was good news for everyone everywhere. Everybody. Don't be afraid to love God's word even when it's hard. And don't be afraid to love God. I mean, their encounter with the Lord prompted the shepherds to worship. Did you catch that too? The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Glorify and praise. That's what the shepherds did in response to the whole deal. It kind of goes back to revelation and response, doesn't it? Our ultimate response to the gospel, the greatness of God's love, is worship. I mean, what other response is appropriate for such a great gift from such a good, good God? After the angel appeared to the shepherds, this happened. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. On earth peace. This isn't just a general kind of peace that involves getting what we want and living comfortably. Says one commentator, peace in the Bible means an end of enmity and warfare. An end of warfare. And the most fundamental peace and important peace is peace with God. The gospel announces that peace with God is available to all, literally to everyone, everywhere. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When we give up the fight against God and turn to him, acknowledging our desperate need and asking for help, the Lord comes running to us. It's the picture of the the story of the prodigal son, right? When the prodigal son finally turned and started heading toward home, right when his head came across the horizon, the father was there on the porch looking down the drive and the father ran to the son who was returning. God does that for us. God wants us to come home. That's why he did everything he did in Jesus. Says the scripture, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We come home to God by God's grace alone. This happens through trusting in what God has done for us in Jesus and not trusting in anything else. This is Jesus plus nothing. It's just Jesus. We don't trust in any kind of religious performance we accomplish on our own. We don't trust in our maybe even seemingly growing ability to avoid wrong things. It's a gospel sin management. That's not the Christian gospel. That's a a worldly human thing. It's Jesus 
alone, by grace, through faith, not by works. When we're there, we can say with the Apostle Paul and feel the truth of it too. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into this, by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Peace with God, real peace with God, an, an end of the tension, enmity with God. No more separation, no more debt yet to be paid, no more hiding from God, you know, in the bushes like Adam and Eve back in the original story. Because that's what sin causes in us, this hiding instinct. We hide from God, we hide some stuff in our lives from one another. All of that can be gone. And by the way, it's a much better way to live. Peace with God. No more restless wandering, but peace in the real presence of God. Revelation and response, see and tell, treasure and ponder, glorify and praise. Said Jesus, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This Christmas, do not be afraid to choose love even when it's hard to do so. Love people, love God's word, and above all, love God in worship. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, thank you that you chose love even when it was hard to do so. When the demands of justice and the desires of love came into conflict, you stepped in and took the hit for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Wherever we are as individuals today, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would help us turn to you, whatever that means for us today in this moment, that you would help us let our guards down and receive you in. We say yes to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all you've done for us. Make us the people we will be forever in the present by your spirit. We ask in your name, Lord. Amen.